week, uh, thought it was appropriate that we will look around relationships. And today I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start off with the last verse in Ephesians chapter 5. Because that says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Paul comes along and he tells us it's a great mystery. The church, which is the bride of Christ, multitudes of people, but yet they are the bride of Christ. Now in the scriptures, the Old Testament, Israel is portrayed as the wife of Jehovah. In the New Testament, the church is portrayed as the bride of Jesus Christ. And of course it speaks of relationships between Christ and the church. And Paul rightly said, this is a great mystery. I'm struggling in my head around it. Multitudes of people, but yet we are one and we are the bride of Christ. But to help us to understand this mystery, Paul draws on the relationship between a husband and a wife. And he said, as Christ loves the church, you should emulate this. And so, and he points to the greater relationship. So when we go back to the beginning of Ephesians, to get the context, it starts out by setting how to live for God, and then goes on to make clear what is involved. And so, when we come to Ephesians verses 2 and 3, we get this dichotomy because it says, Walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us. So then you get a command right away, that we have to walk in a particular way, and we walk in that direction, under the banner of the Lord, and we walk in love because Christ loved us. And it goes on to say, that he's given himself for us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us so that we might be redeemed and that we might have the power. Remember when the Bible talks about ye shall receive power, that power that you receive is to walk in the righteousness and the truth of God and to know the love of God. But it makes this big dichotomy. You walk in the love, but immediately it contrasts with what you should not do. It says, but fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, it says, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. So you've got the love of God automatically, immediately contrasted with what not to do. And if you went down to Ephesians 5, uh, seven uh, elaborates more in that whole area. And the reason that Paul talks about this is very important. Because all sins are not the same. All sins are not the same. The Bible constantly highlights sexual sin because it's unique. And the reason for it is because it undermines the Creator. It undermines His design. It undermines His values. And it's also sin against your own body. So, Paul is very clear when he writes. And then here he said, Be not partakers, but friends. 
We are called to love as Christ loved. And another thing about it, it's not only does it undermine the Creator and His design and His purposes for you, it's getting part of yourself, your soul, to another. And it's losing identity. And you start to lose your identity, Christ. So the approval of such lifestyles, which is not according to the word of God, is like leaven that comes in. And what does leaven do? Leaven corrupts. And so we have this contrast right immediately at the beginning of Ephesians. But the Spirit goes on to say here in Ephesians, but you're no longer in darkness. You are no longer walking in darkness. But you're walking in the light, so you should produce the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then it goes on to say, we are to redeem the time and be filled for the Spirit. We must redeem the time and we must be filled with the Spirit. There's no other way that you can live the Christian life than be filled with God's Spirit. And so when it comes, because we want to start to talk about managing relationships, now the very first thing about marriage, what do you do? For those people get married in church, well they stand at the front long term. And they say their vows. Do you take this man to be a husband? Do you take this lady to be a wife? So they get their vows. And so vows are important. Because what is a vow to love, to cherish? And it's always until death has to part. So there is right way in the very beginning of marriage, vows are undertaken. And when you go to the scriptures, God expects you, if you make a vow, to keep it. So it's very prominent in scriptures. You don't make a vow unless you're going to keep it. So marriage, from the very start, is a vow, the commitment of one to another. And it's reflecting the commitment that God has to us. It is a reflection of what has been done for Christ and in our life. And so when we come to look at it, Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting in the fear of God. What is the fear of God? Think of the early church, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they dropped down dead when they were confronted. And what does, this, what does the word of God say? And great fear spread around everybody. Hey, you want to join in a church just because you think it's a good idea. The fear spread around everywhere. And so if you were joining the church, you would make a huge commitment. Go back to the Old Testament. Remember when the Mount Horeb, when the, the mountain is burning, and God says, Moses, bring the people up here. And the people say, no way. They were terrified. So when we're talking about the fear of God, it's not a reverential type of fear. It's a deep fear. And anyway, you look in the scripture, when the presence of God is coming, 
And God draws near to her. What do they do? They fall on their faces. They cry out because it, when the holiness of God and the righteousness of God, we come into that contact, people automatically react. And fear comes. But the great thing about godly fear, godly fear has lots of benefits. Beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. So right away here in the scripture, Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then follows the relationship that is to exist between a husband and a wife. The Bible says to become one. That's another mystery. Just the same as the mystery of Christ in the church. But you see, every time a marriage works, it prophesies. Every time it works, it prophesies. It awakens destiny and it awakens hope in individuals. Why? Because God's offspring, generations are being raised up without defilement. See, God looks for generations to be raised up. God looks for righteousness. God is not wanting defilement. And so, the relationships, marriage is prophesying. Every marriage is a good marriage is prophesying because the blessing of God is in it. And the, the modeling is something that can be exportable. Ephesians 5.31 For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Look what it says here. The man leaves his father and mother. You have a new household. You're no longer going back to your father or mother to say, what do I do here, what do I do there, what's the next thing? No. You leave these things behind, you move on, you're a new household, and the very basis of a new household manages communication. Speaking one to another, sharing one to another, what are we going? You don't do things in your own. And so you have that communication and you make your decisions between yourselves and the Lord. And decisions are made, and no other person is involved in them. Because you two become one and you become a household on your own with your own responsibilities, with your own decisions that you make before God. The influence of other people and extended families no longer applies. You are on your own with your own household to make your own decisions and to have a good marriage so that you bring up children without defilement. Now, Adam and Eve are given an example of this union. And the Bible talks about how Eve came from Adam. That God put Adam into a deep sleep and took out a rib, and from his rib he made it Eve. And so it was very true when it was said that Eve was part of Adam's flesh and bones. And it's a picture of an ideal marriage. The two become one, you become one in unity, flesh and bones. And when Jesus was challenged with this, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 19. 
And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? That which he made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are not more twain, and twain is just two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so when you go back to Ephesians 5.25, what does it say? Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So here you've got a command of how much you should love. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, husbands love your wife and give your life for them. So there is that immediate relationship which is brought in. And it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now just as I said, Adam was bound a deep sleep to get his wife and Eve was created. The Bible says Christ died for the church. Christ gave his life for the church, which is his body. And so the, the church, the bride of Christ, is God's, the Lord Jesus Christ's body. So it goes on, verse Therefore, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but the nourisheth and cherisheth, even so the Lord the church. Therefore, you should nourish and cherish your wife. Command. You love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Even in Colossians 319 it says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now this is important. Because in Hebrews it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail or the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bring up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Roots of bitterness. Loose of bitterness can be in the flesh, but loose of bitterness can also be in the spirit. And the Bible says, don't let any bitterness be found in you. And if there is any bitterness in you, then you need to get prayer and deliverance. Because look what it said again in Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Let any root of bitterness bring up trouble you. What does it do? It brings defilement. God is a God who is not looking for defilement. He is looking for people who are in righteousness, walking in truth and covered by his righteousness. And that they are walking holy in front of him. They are his ambassadors. And as Christ has loved the church, he is looking for relationships to love each other because it is a reflection of his goodness so that the world will see what it is like because we are examples to the world. But he goes on to say, Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the saviour of the body. In Colossians it says, Why submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. As it is fit. So we go back to Genesis 2.18. Eve was made 
Not to be a slave, not to be somebody you talk down to, but to be a helpmate so that the two of them would have communion and the two of them would be equally yoked. And we're told in Timothy why the wife submit. And it was because Eve was the one who was deceived in the garden. The Bible said Adam wasn't deceived. But when Adam took the fruit, he has taken it to be with Eve. Now, as I said, the submission is not to be a slave. Husbands and wives actually have an equal partnership and they're not to be unequally yoked. And we have a stereotype of what it should be like with a husband and wife. What I'm going to say today is the stereotype that you have always thought of is not what the scripture says. I'm going to cover a couple of things which is important because in Proverbs chapter 31 describes the relationship of a wife to a husband. And this is important to get to know this parts of scripture because husbands should also be encouraging their wife to move in the callings of God. Everybody is called. And here in Proverbs 31, that in verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Then it goes on to describe her relationship. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he will have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Do him good all the days of her life. Well, think about it. You, you had your marriage ceremony and you said, in sickness and in health, and to death do us part. So your life is going to be one where at different times there can be things that come against you. People can be attacked with depression. You might be an emotional roller coaster, up and down. You've got things going wrong in your life, things going wrong in your work, things going wrong with family relationships. You can have all sorts of things coming against you, there's sickness, there's terminal illness, there's so many things that happen, but the scripture says she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So here you're getting a really good wife or husband. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of land. Well, if you go to the story of Ruth, that is exactly what happened. Ruth is a great example of this. And of course that's why Proverbs earlier on in the book says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour of the Lord. But then you also talk about the relationship to husband. It also describes the relationship of her work. Verse she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Well, think of Rebecca. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, as soon as he came and Rebecca, she's running up and down the yo-yo, getting all the water from the camels. 
doing everything. She is like the merchant ship, she brings forth food from afar. She also rises well as is yet night and provides food for her husband and a portion of her maid servant. So she's up early, she's doing breakfast, she's feeding the family, she's looking after anybody that's staying in the household. Then it goes on to this, which is important. She considers a field and buys it. And from her profit she plants a vineyard. So this lady is very good at handling business transactions because she is shrewd, she is wise, she is economical. We can go back to the bed again. She gives herself her strength and strengthens her arms. Her lamp does not go out by night. Not like the foolish virgins that never had the oil in the lamp. So when we come to the scriptures, our life is not constrained in a narrow area, but she should be encouraged to go into the full destiny and calling that God has. And that can be in business, it can be in so many different areas. But you see, God wants you to all be in union and encouraging each other and walking and loving each other as Christ has loved the church. And so we are called into this walk. And so we can just do a quick summary. It's comprehending the relationship of Christ to the church. It's got to be emulated in our lives. And the way it's emulated is through love and loving our spouses. And therefore we stay clear of immorality. We stay clear, say we stay clear of perversion because we know that immorality and perversion is like leaven. And the Bible is always very clear about leaven. Leaven always corrupts. And when corruption takes place, your life starts to have problems. And these problems can go on for years. The corruption, and it can take a lot of effort and work to get back into the way of righteousness and truth. And people who are caught in corruption, then the darkness comes over them. And they go further and further away from the plans and purposes of God. We're called to be faithful because God is faithful. It's a reflection of the faithfulness of God to each one of us. And God just wants us to be like him. If he loves, he wants you to love. Whatever he loves, he wants you to love. Whatever he hates, he wants you to hate. He wants you to be a reflection of him and his goodness. And the Bible goes on to say, as I said, not all sins are the same, and we need the fear of God. The fear of God will keep you in righteousness. The fear of God will keep you in the right path. The fear of God is one of the greatest things that anybody can have. And God commands to husbands, he commands to wives, and the communication is central. And we've got to be in the rightful place in our relationships, in the home. Because the other thing about it is it reflects onto the family, it reflects onto the kids. If you don't have a right relationship, then you'll have problems. But right relationships produces the blessing of God. 
And so I just want to leave these few thoughts with you because as we've got the work from Sammy, it is important that we make sure that anything that God speaks to us about, that we not only are hearers of the word of God, the doers of the word of God. And when God speaks to us about things that have to be dealt with, then we have to deal with them. We come to the cross because there's forgiveness of sins, there's cleansing. And why do we have the cleansing? Because when people come into the church with all their marriage problems, with all their baggage, all that they're carrying, they're coming into a place where they see people that's already been transformed. It's not good people come into the church to meet people who are still in the same condition they are in. God's not going to allow it. That's why God has called each one of us to be overcomers and for each one of us to rise to the occasion and to be those who completely give ourselves over to the gospel and to the word of God so that when people come in, they'll see such a difference and want to be like you.